giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Scott Orn, COO of Cruise Consulting. Scott, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Chad, and thank you to ThoughtBot Nation. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> ThoughtBot Nation, <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Buy that URL. Yeah, so why don't you tell people what it is that Cruise actually does? We are a startup CFO and accounting and tax firm. We do everything for venture capital-backed startups. So mm-hmm. probably a lot of your clientele at ThoughtBot is VC-backed as well. We find that when you raise capital from outsiders, you then get very serious about, as a CEO, about how you're spending your money. You need to report well to your investors. And so having good financials, like good monthly accounting, is super important. And also you want to avoid like the embarrassing didn't do my tax return this year or missed out on R&D tax credit or lost my corporation because I didn't do my Delaware franchise tax. Those type of compliance problems, you get very serious about that. And you also have just a little bit of more money so you can buy some of your time back and hire someone like us. So we target companies from C to like late series B, series C, and anywhere from like a million, $2 million raised up to, we have a, a newly minted unicorn that has a billion dollar valuation, a company called Calm that's doing fabulously well, that we're still doing their financials, mm-hmm. even though they're like a huge company now because our team is just really good. And that's what we do. We, we solve all your tax problems. We send you monthly financials. We have a dedicated team member. They talk to you on the phone or Zoom every month. Or we do in-person meetings when, whenever possible. And uh, we've now grown from four people when I joined a while back to 35, and we have 10 contractors and just... We're still in this zone of like never being staffed enough to accept everyone. So I'm sure ThoughtBot, you probably have similar problems where like it's really hard to hire and retain people. And sometimes we get in these zones where we have to just not be able to take clients for a while just to preserve our own sanity mm-hmm. and sanity of our team. Do the majority of your clients have on staff other financial people or are you doing everything for them? Usually we're, we're the only people except for the later stage companies that have usually like either a very financially fluent COO mm-hmm. or a VP of finance slash CFO. And one of the cool things about kind of where we are now from like three or four years ago was we actually found that the software tools have gotten really good. So QuickBooks, Expensify, Bill.com, Gusto, Rippling, tons of just the kind of the software stack that mm-hmm. everyone should be using. And they automate a lot of stuff that previously wasn't automated and also build good processes because your process kind of has to fit in the software. And so we found that our service is very scalable. So like Calm is a great example of like they've been with us for three years. There was two accounting firms before us that couldn't do the job for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And we came in, straightened everything out. And now we've been with them for like three years and they have a billion dollar valuation, you know, and normally I would have said – they would have brought someone in and had a full finance team maybe a year or 18 months ago. But because the tools are great, our team's processes, our team is really good. We're able to stick with companies for a really long time. Cool. So you were on the show back in 2013, a long time ago, episode 43. What are you on now? Oh, that's a great question. 314. 300. Wow. So I don't know if you know this, Chad, but Tom actually helped me get my little podcast going and Dan Croak. Yeah, I know. And I'm at like 90 episodes now. And I think it's like one of the best things I've ever done besides like have a baby and get married. (laughs) It's like this amazing repository of your life and all these interesting people you get to talk to and share a lot of learning that you have. I'm, I'm sure you're like really proud of all your work. 
Yeah, and it's a lot of fun to talk to all different kinds of people and about all different kinds of things and hear from the audience with questions and thanks and that kind of thing. So Yeah, I always say like you get to talk to a worldwide expert mm-hmm. for in whatever they're doing for an hour. Right. And it's fascinating, you know? Like you're going to know way more that you want to know about accounting and tax after this this podcast and <laughs> yeah. it's like oh but you'll you'll probably have some cocktail party and you'll be like well let me t- let me tell you the answer to that question bob you know yeah and it's it's awesome so when you were on the show before it was before cruise you were at lighthouse capital doing venture capital investment mm-hmm. and you were running ben's friends on the side which you still do right mhm so at what point did you join cruise and what's the story yeah there? I joined almost exactly four years ago, tax day 2000, I guess that would have been 2015, 16, 17, yeah, four years ago. And the joke is I quit my other job and gave notice. And the last day at work, I left at like three. They're really nice. I came home and Vanessa put me to work immediately. And we stayed up until two in the morning that night doing accounting and taxes and stuff like that. So it was my introduction to real startups. The impetus for joining Vanessa at Cruise Consulting was... I had always been on the investing side or invest in banking, like finance side, and had never actually built anything. And I always wanted to build something. And so she had gotten this tremendous momentum. She was up to like 60 or 70 clients by herself, clearly had a formula that worked. She was one of the first people that recognized the cloud accounting tools mm-hmm. were going to change the industry. So like the old joke is she came to me when I was still at Lighthouse and she's like, I met this company called Zen Payroll, which became Gusto. And they had four employees and she's like, you should invest in this company. Like, they're going to revolutionize payroll. And I didn't listen, of course. And uh, <laughs> once I joined her, I started listening a lot more. And uh, she's a very smart businesswoman. She's great. She's amazing at process. In a startup, you're either going to be like a founder or a support person. I found a founder I could support mm-hmm. and also help a lot. And I had my own network and things like that. So I joined and the rest is history. It's been, I mean, it's hard. You know how hard it is to start and run a company. Vanessa's really our founder. She worked three years before I even joined. So she's she's been doing it for seven. But now we like have 170 monthly recurring clients. Like we have 170 companies that we give financials to every month and keep them straight, help them with tons of consulting projects, anything that really comes up. And it's like, it's incredibly rewarding. And for every kind of, one in a hundred, there's a bad apple in professional services. There's 50 or 80 amazing clients that I love. And I've watched their business grow since they were like a two or three person company. And now they have 50 employees. And it's like, oh my gosh, look how far we've all come together. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about it. But it was, I just really wanted to start something and have that experience in life. Mm -hmm. Was there any trepidation in terms of what you were concerned about in terms of quitting your job and joining? I mean, the company I left is doing incredibly well. It's called Callisto Media. I The quick background is I knew I was going to leave Lighthouse, so I went to work at one of my portfolio companies for six months, Callisto, and they're amazing. They're doing really well. I'm friends with CEO. The CEO basically said, come, why don't you come to CEO uh, school and learn some things from me, and I did learn a ton from them. I really like working with startups. I really like finance. So for me, I wasn't really scared at all, actually. It's kind of the same way when you go out with a a new girlfriend or boyfriend, it's like, you're just kind of seeing the good stuff and you're not really thinking about the bad stuff. And it was just all about getting back to something I really loved and helping someone I really love and cared for, Vanessa, build a business and have success. And it Mm -hmm. was really fun. You know how it is when when you're running something, you get like 
immediate feedback constantly. Like my, it's actually too much feedback. You get way too much feedback all day long. It's actually hard. You have to kind of block some of that out. But we were doing something that was really important to our clients and doing it well, and we still are. And I get so much positive feedback every day, and from our employees. Like people really like working here. It's pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of upward mobility. They're basically becoming little Vanessa Cruises, <laughs> and she's set this whole playbook up kind of modeled after the ThoughtBot playbook. I remember your guys' playbook. It was amazing. We have stuff like that internally because we learned it from you. So I wasn't really scared. It was more like it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You weren't married at the time, right? Mm-mm. We'd been dating for, I think, probably six years. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, did, I looked at it more as like I was going to help Vanessa, who I really loved and cared about. But also, it was like a great founder that I could work behind and, and follow. We did get married two and a half years ago. We have a little baby girl now. She's really cute. She's 14 months old. Thank you. She's amazing. Working with your partner is tough. Like We definitely have tough days where it would be easier if we weren't working together. But there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of like you see your partner succeeding, mm-hmm. and you see how good they are at what they do, and see how special they are, which is really awesome. And you can help them in times where they're overwhelmed or have too much on their plate or don't have expertise in something. Vanessa basically taught me accounting. Like I have an MBA and a CFA, but I didn't really know operational accounting and she Mm -hmm. taught it to me. And I've taught her a lot of finance stuff and some of that. So it's really beautiful to be there for each other. That said, like we do go to counseling to make sure that we're like on track in our relationship and and paying attention to each other and things like that. And it's it's a challenge. It's hard, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So your title is COO. What is it that you actually do for the company? My title's always been COO, but my role's kind of changed. When I first joined, and I'm sure this is going to flash back to you, like your early days at ThoughtBot, you are a professional service company, so pretty much anyone who's not fully billable is actually like a cost mm-hmm. to the company. And so she was already like maxed out billable, so it was like actually I was taking some stuff off her plate while also learning. So eventually I got like good at accounting. And so I had like a full slate of clients. We got up to about 150 companies maybe like two years ago. And I think Vanessa was managing 100 of them and I was managing 50 of them, which sounds completely insane and it was. But (laughs) you also just get really good at this. We had like the team underneath us learning and evolving and getting better. And at that time we were hiring a lot of young people who were just improving rapidly but need a lot of training. Now we actually go after people who have a lot more experience and we hire remotely quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's really the focus of our company now. We hire remotely because we just find people with like 10 or 20 years of experience who are super mature and no accounting backwards and can give great advice and just and just kind of be a little easier to work with mm-hmm. than the train everyone model. Mm-hmm. But back then, that's what we were doing. So I was like fully booked on clients. So was Vanessa. Plus, Vanessa used to do all the tax returns, and we were both selling all new clients. I'm, this is like what your life was like, right? right. Am I, do you remember that? Yeah, it's, it's it was still rough. like that. So. <laughs> yeah, and we're still the same. I mean, I think I have like five or six clients right now for various reasons. But the goal now is to be less about client service and more about building the company and the infrastructure and managing people and meeting with people and then also doing business development and things like that. So. We're just about over our super busy time, and the summer is a little bit of a quiet time for us. So, And our hiring pipeline is really, really strong, which is amazing. We'll probably add a couple more people and take those clients off me, and I'll be doing more infrastructure. And as you know, infrastructure is super, like, super duper important. Like, 
a good example is we've been running a lot of stuff like our workflows off of Google Sheets. Mm-hmm. Now that we're getting this big, Google Sheets is like starting to break. Like mm-hmm. it's too slow. You can't sort. So now we're moving to a lot of software off the shelf tools made for consulting firms, which is super exciting for us. But you have to like vet them. You have to decide which one you're going to do. You have to deploy them. So that's what we're going to be doing this summer. Yeah. But I would encourage anyone who's starting something to do use the Google Sheets method or use the kind of minimum viable tool method until you really know what you need to do. And also cash is super important in those early days. So don't go out and blow a ton of money on tools you're not sure you need. Yeah. Just be careful. I think the other piece of feedback I'd give is like in those days, we were really tight on cash. And Vanessa and I paid ourselves very, very small amounts of money in 2015 and 16. So like it was like either needs to work or we're going to we're going to be in trouble kind of desperation feeling. So any extra dollars you can save really makes a difference. Yeah. Now we're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Pricing Wire. Think about all the time, effort, uncertainty and everything else that you're investing into what you're building. PricingWire has helped more than 1,000 software and technology innovators like you take a proactive approach to both discover and get paid what they're truly worth. From early startups to Fortune 500 enterprises, across verticals and around the globe, PricingWire delivers easy-to-understand and actionable recommendations to guide your monetization and pricing strategy. If you want to avoid unnecessary challenges or regrets and prevent missing time-sensitive revenue opportunities, PricingWire can help. Just go to pricingwire.com and book a strategy session today. Whether you need to organize your value into offerings, quantify and message your value, select the right pricing metrics, set and change prices, or even decide if usage-based pricing is best for you, PricingWire will help you achieve your revenue goals faster and with more confidence. Learn more at pricingwire.com and start making meaningful progress today. You didn't even ask this, but I'm now getting into like advice zone, but it's fresh in my mind because we were working at ThoughtBot back then when we did this. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Cruz spent time in our San Francisco studio renting desks from us as you got started. Yeah. It was a huge gift because we got to have the startup culture that you guys have. We got to ask questions all day long of your team. So actually, that'd be a good chance to mention that we actually have more space available in our San Francisco studio now because the previous tenant moved out. So if you're interested in subletting, we have space for 12 people available in San Francisco, right on second and market. Get in touch. The link will be in the show notes. It was amazing. And it was a gift. Like, I really appreciate you doing that for us and allowed us to scale kind of without signing Mm -hmm. a big lease and things like that. But I think it was more about the culture and tons of like, how do we do this? How do we do that? Like I mentioned the ThoughtBot playbook earlier. It was inspiration, but also transformative for us because we started building our own playbook. You guys do such a good job of that. And it must be like an incredible selling piece for you, but also for your team internally. Mm -hmm. I remember the other piece of advice, which I think you guys have probably done well too, which is focus on like the kind of customer you really need that works for you. At that time, when I joined, Vanessa had already decided to disengaged with all of our small business clients. At the time, Mm -hmm. she was taking small business and venture-backed startups. But the small business folks didn't have a lot of money to pay, were not very sophisticated, and most importantly, didn't have an investor who really cared about their financials being done correctly. Mm -hmm. So there was no like peer pressure. And so Mm -hmm. that ended up resulting in us not being efficient with that customer base. 
And so I talked her into keeping those clients for a while, thinking, oh, we need to save money and we can make that's revenue. Mm -hmm. But really, she was right. We would have been much better off if we would have done that earlier. Mm -hmm. The moment we really started taking off was when we got rid of those small business clients that weren't a good fit for what we were trying to do. And we also fired a couple um, jerk clients, mean clients that were not very nice to work with. And what we kind of found was that so much of our energy, especially emotional energy, was going to those clients that when we were able to redeploy that energy into companies that were growing, who were nice, who really liked us, we could actually help them grow faster and grow our own business faster. I remember sitting in your conference room talking to Vanessa about how are we going to do this and why should we do this? And it it totally worked. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing moment. Yeah, that's great. It's not just the internal focus too when you do that, but like it makes it easier for people to find you and know what you do. Like instead of being a general purpose accounting and tax company, you are the one to go to for venture back startups. And you can put that on your website and people get it. I'm nodding vigorously, and it's the same for ThoughtBot. Like, Mm -hmm. you guys are known as a top, top tier software development firm with amazing design aesthetics and also like the developer chops to get it done. In very much the same way, you sell like a total solution, like, you Mm -hmm. sell like the ThoughtBot process, which I actually love. We hired a couple just developers on the side Mm -hmm. to do some stuff that was kind of a test that went into like a full on product. We have a site called Cruise Tax now, and this is two or three years ago. I did it in a very kind of fluid and not structured way, and I would have been so much better off walking over to ThoughtBot and hiring you guys and just say, do this right, and I want one of your designers to design the flows and what this really needs to look like. Instead, we kind of like – you get vested in something and you can't mm-hmm. get out of it. Sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> so, uh, it was a sunk cost, yeah. It was a sunk cost, but I didn't treat it as a sunk cost mm-hmm. is, is the fallacy part of that. And if I just would have gone to you guys, I would have been much better off, both timelines, work product, stress levels. So that's something to think about when, you tr- when you're trying something out. Like Once you know that you want to do something, I would look to hire a professional. And if I didn't have this experience on knowing how professionally we do all of our clients of taxes and accounting. I might not appreciate that, but I've kind of live it on my side. And then as a client with some developers I used earlier who were great people and did a great job and did the best they could, but I think we would have been better with the industrial strength approach of ThoughtBot. Well, that's good to hear. (laughs) So you mentioned doing initial versions of things with Google Sheets and really reducing building or buying things that you're not really sure you need or aren't ready for yet. Another tool that we use a lot is Trello because it's so flexible for doing lots of different things. And another one that we've experimented with is Airtable because it's like Trello with even more stuff. It's like the access database for the web. You're a man after my own heart. First of all, ThoughtBot got me on Trello. So thank you. Because I don't know if you know this, but you guys did some development stuff for me on a different project a long time ago. And so Dan was like, let's use Trello. Mm -hmm. It's really easy. So just so you know, we are running our cruise internal finance on Trello. We're running our cruise operations on Trello. We're running our software development stuff on Trello. And there's one other thing we're running. I log into Trello every single day, use it. It's an amazing tool. I love it. And then secondly, on the second tool you mentioned, Airtable, 
we actually have a system for scoring every single review. Like when you in accounting, when you review the books mm-hmm. and work on them and put them in the the proper shape, the person who's reviewing the prior person's work scores that person. And we've had this for a long time. Vanessa built it. It's mm-hmm. amazing. But we just transitioned to more of a web form mm-hmm. with the back end of Airtable. And Airtable does all the calculations. And we just made this live yesterday. And cool. it's working really, really well. So Airtable is a really flexible tool. Right. I still like Trello for uh, to-do lists and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But Airtable has this like calculation component. It's right. almost like a Google Sheet. Right. It's really, really powerful. For those who, who don't know, it's like a combination between a database, a Google Sheet that you can program and forms. And you can then view that information in a variety of different interfaces, one of which is like a Trello card-like interface or a spreadsheet interface or or that kind of thing. So you're actually building a database and programming on top of it. We had been on Salesforce, but not really using it. And we actually looked at it as a replacement for Salesforce. We ended up kind of doubling down on Salesforce and actually using it now, but Mm -hmm. you couldn't construct a CRM component out of Airtable as well. Yeah. We got tired of outgrowing our tools and kind of tailoring our tools. And we just wanted like what the industry standards were mm-hmm. this go around. And so that's why we ended up using Salesforce instead yeah. of an Airtable. Right. Yeah. We were using Trello as a CRM, but we had programmed using Trello webhooks and everything like a bunch of workflows in a Rails app that I built. That's the advantage of having your skill set versus right. my skill set. <laughs> But there there came a point where we're we're clearly – we started off from a standpoint of like this is ThoughtBot specific and we want it to work this little bit of a way. And then that expanded into we're programming a whole CRM. Yeah, yeah. And so we then last year flipped everything. So we switched to a standard CRM and then we added a little bit of ThoughtBot special sauce to it. I'm envious. I mean, I guess we get to do that in our own financials and things like that, use our knowledge. But I'm envious. When I talk to young people, I'm like, you should just learn how to be a developer. Like, in anything you do, it's going to serve you well. It's like learning the language of business, you know? It's super duper important. Yeah. I think it's also, it can be a distraction though. Like, especially when we were small, we went through a period of time where we built some stuff and then we were like, no, we should not be building things. So we held off building anything for a long And it's like, because we have the capability to do that, we often go to that when there is a perfectly legitimate non-programming yeah. <laughs> solution to the, to the problem. That sounds like a CEO pain point. I totally get it. Like, hey, we don't need to reinvent the wheel every single time kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and it's particularly yeah. bad because I'm the one who's often doing it since I'm like, I can solve yeah. this with programming. Yeah. This is fun. I'll do this <laughs> right. for a while. Right. Yeah, I totally get it. And so the CRM is one example, but also like our invoicing and all that stuff, it used to be a lot of custom tools and now we're using off the shelf stuff for that. And I think it was in retrospect, a mistake to be so custom with a lot of those things. Yeah, yeah. Invoicing is, um, there's a lot of companies that do it well and Stripe is great at powering the the payment processing part of that. So I'm, I'm totally with you. Mm-hmm. So as you've scaled, have there been internal things that you've been building? Like you mentioned Airtable. Are there things that you've actually built and said, there's nothing good enough here and let's build this Yeah, ourselves? we have actually, if you go to cruisetax.com, it'll forward you to our tax thing. It's just easier mm-hmm. URL. We actually have basically like a TurboTax for startups. And you go there and you have to click like the get started button. And then we'll start asking you some basic information about your company. And then we'll ask you to upload your income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statement, cap table. And we actually do about 100 tax returns through that. 
and it's amazing and actually works really well. Our tax people really love it. It's fantastic. We know the strengths and weaknesses of building something ourselves now because we've actually done it. Like cruise tax is like a working application that Mm -hmm. our customers use. That said, I think we tread a little bit more likely we actually, you don't, you don't even know this. This is, and by the way, this isn't even a business development call. We are gonna hire you at some point in the summertime to do. We don't, you don't even know this. You're just making money doing a podcast <laughs> to do some design work for us on kind of a next iteration of cruise. Cool for our clients. Yeah, and so we know there's a couple pain points out there, and this is what I was kind of talking about when I was saying like, in hindsight, I should have just showed up at your office and engaged you guys, mm-hmm. and we're not gonna make that mistake again. So you guys will be doing some work with us sometime this summer, cool. but it's hopefully as long as you're not too busy. Um, but I think having gone through that development, I learned how hard software development really is, and also like how maintaining the code is really important, and how when you're using a lot of different APIs, because we use like the Box API, we use the Cookbooks API, we use a lot of stuff, and that stuff changes and breaks. Yeah. And so maintaining it is actually like a lot of work in of itself. When you're someone who doesn't have the software development background, you kind of conceptualize it and it feels good and it feels like this should work. And you use tools like Trello or Airtable and you're like, this can be easy. We can build something. But what people don't know who are like me is that there's probably 100 or 200 engineers that work on Trello. And there's probably 1,000 engineers that work on Airtable. And getting all that stuff to work well and have a good customer experience is really hard. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I recommend people use pros like you guys, like you guys know what you're doing. And I also think there's something to be said. One of the problems we had on cruise tax initially was just not building it in a flexible um, languages and not having a flexible kind of workflow. I think if we would have come to ThoughtBot earlier on, we would have understood our customer a little bit better. And also you guys would have forced us to understand our flow a little bit Mm -hmm. better. And then we would have built it right the first time instead of iterating on it. These are all learnings that Vanessa and I have had in like the last two or three years. You know, you wouldn't think an accounting firm would be building a lot of software, but we see a pretty huge opportunity for it. Mm -hmm. It is a, a business that lends itself to automation. And the tool providers like expensifybill.com, QuickBooks, Gusta, all these guys are bringing their own sets of automation, which is really powerful. And then around the edges, there's stuff that we can do that'll make our life a lot easier. So mm-hmm. it's exciting, but I also know how hard it is now. Before, I was just like a, like a kid you know, in a candy store thinking it'd be easy to build this stuff. So how do you think in terms of the business between growing the services side and you know, cruise tax? Like how do yeah. you balance those things? Cruise tax is really a funnel for services. It's about mm-hmm. getting all the frictions out and making it easy to communicate, easy to turn around a tax return, and easy to do customer service, frankly, because people have a lot of questions around tax. So having a plugin like Zendesk in Cruise Tax really kind of cut down the amount of back and forth we need because it's just easier. But having the kind of mainstay Cruise Tax questionnaires and have the box integration so that we can accept files in a very secure way is actually really powerful. It would be great if we were like a software company. I think Vanessa and I probably both would enjoy it more. But that's probably me being naive again and saying that not fully understanding how difficult it is to be a software company. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be new. But I think at the heart, we're incredibly good at the service side of this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's instructive for like other entrepreneurs out there to think about this. Really, we make money because we are really good at operating QuickBooks, Expensify, Bill.com, Gusto, all these tools. 
And our clients are trying to run a business and don't know how to work the tools and how to do things kind of industrial strength professionally. And because we are just amazing at this and we can train our people to do this, we actually have a very bright future. And sometimes people, especially like in the accounting industry, you see people talk about how automation is going to take jobs away or things like that, which may be true, but I actually think it makes the pie significantly bigger and it makes the service firms that are really good with new technology and willing to learn and embrace it incredibly powerful. If you chart Vanessa's rise from a QuickBooks Pro Advisor, general bookkeeper, with no clients seven years ago to who she is now, it's insane. And it's really because she was one of the people who intuitively grasped this early on. You know, there's a world of software entrepreneurs, which I completely respect and kind of wish I was one of those people. But there's another world of people who are service entrepreneurs like ThoughtBot, like Cruise Consulting, that have an equally bright future because we're so good at what we do. And, and we we're mentally tough enough to continue to refine and continue to get better and use new things to make our clients' life a lot easier. So when you are planning, you, mean, you mentioned you have a bright future ahead of you, but earlier on you also mentioned there are times where you need to stop taking clients because you don't have the capacity to do it. So how do you balance that and where do you see crews going? How big could you get or how big do you plan on yeah. getting? You know, we do a beginning of the year plan. We've been successful in doubling every year for like the last three or four years. But I think this year we probably won't. We probably could, but there's a little bit of like, let's not get crazy and kill ourselves kind of thing, mm-hmm. especially with a baby. Mm-hmm. So I think we could be a 100-person firm easily. And Vanessa and I lately reflect on a conversation we had. This is this is kind of for the entrepreneurs in, the, in listening to this. You will have these moments where you have a structural problem in your business that you cannot solve. And for us, it was we had incredible demand, but we couldn't staff and train fast enough. Mm-hmm. And in the early days when I joined Vanessa, we were experimenting with contractors, like people who were kind of all over the country who could help with the work. And we had really poor results. And in hindsight, it was because we didn't have clearly defined processes. We didn't have sign-ups. We didn't have grading. We didn't have accountability. And I remember sitting, we were, it was like last February or March, and we were sitting um, at a conference outside. It was like in a tropical destination. And we were so frustrated because we could not hire people we needed in San Francisco, San Jose, or New York. And Vanessa was like, you know what? F it. Let's try remote. We've read a bunch about it. We've heard great things. And she had the observation that we now have the process and accountability built into everything we've done because we basically for four years kept improving the process. And sure enough, we've definitely had some bumps, but sure enough, she was right. And now I think our last 10 hires have been remote and that is where we're going as a company. We have an amazing group of people in San Francisco and San Jose still, but what we've kind of found is that culturally using Slack, Zoom, we can be networked and see each other. I still think we have a long way to go. I would say we're kind of 50% there. Mm-hmm. Like we're planning a company-wide get-together in May or June. That's going to be something that's really important. Seeing each other face-to-face a couple times every year is going to be really important. There's a podcast I listen to called Yonder, which I really like about remote work. But I think there was this structural frustration that we lived for like over a year before she figured that out. And I'm sure ThoughtBot has a moment like that in its history and every startup will. So it's just about kind of thinking through it and experimenting. If we hadn't have experimented again, we'd probably still be sitting there being super frustrated, not able to grow, and probably not providing the service level that we can right now 
because we're able to attract these amazing people remotely. Mm-hmm. Are the people full-time or are mm-hmm. you finding these mm-hmm. experience? Okay, cool. Yeah. I think we have a couple part-time people who are like students who can mm-hmm. work like 30 hours a week mm-hmm. at the junior level. But for the most part, we kind of find that a full-time person is dedicated. It's their job. There's like this different level yeah. of accountability with them. It's not for everybody. Like one of the interview questions we ask people is like, have you worked remotely before? And, and have you thought about the trade-offs? Because there's a ton of freedom and flexibility, but there can also be isolation in times where you feel like you're not connected. And we're aware of that. And that's why getting together and having people into the home office and things like that are really important. But I do think this time next year, will probably be fully remote in that we'll be working out of our San Jose office already in WeWork, San Francisco being WeWork, mm-hmm. and people will be working from home a couple of days a week, and everyone will kind of be on the same level, which yeah. I think is really important for the culture, and that's, that's where we're going with it. Cool. So we got a lot of tax changes this year. You know, What are the big things that you're seeing either people struggle with or be surprised by with the, with the tax changes? Yeah. Well, and we focus on startup taxes. So I should caveat this by saying I am not a CPA. So I only play one on podcasts. But my wife is a former Deloitte tax CPA. She's a CPA. She does tons of tax returns. And then we have a VP of tax, Stephen Yarbrough, who's a CPA. Steven used to work at the IRS. He's like the coolest former IRS agent you've ever met in your life. He's amazing. He's funny. He's awesome. So this is really their domain, but a couple things. First of all, we're taping this in early April on purpose so that we can get kind of this out before tax day. There's a ton of like I, – I I'm not even answering my phone right now because there's so many people calling us. And you can actually file an extension so that your tax return won't be due until October – if you're a C-Corp. For people, I think it's actually the same. I'm not sure, don't quote me on that. But for corporates, it's October, if you're a C-Corp. And then the big thing that changed two years ago is R&D tax credits for startups are now applicable on payroll taxes. So if your startup is doing, by nature, almost every startup's doing like real R&D, you get to capture a percentage of that spend in a credit, and you used to not be able to use that credit till you're profitable. So like even Lyft that went public, right? They're mm-hmm. not profitable. They won't be able to use their R&D tax credits for a long time. But a couple years ago, the IRS and the Treasury got together and said, you can use this credit on payroll taxes now. And that became an, an immediate ROI for startups. And so last year we did $3 million worth of R&D tax credits. We saved our average company something like $39,000 on payroll taxes. It's insane. And so that's probably the single most important thing. There's other things that that kind of fly below the radar. And you, you may have an audience that is international. I think you do. And are using Stripe Atlas mm-hmm. to incorporate. And what most international folks don't know, because they're they're not really up to date with like the IRS, right? It's not like it's not like they teach the IRS in like an Eastern European right. code school, right? But when you have an international subsidiary, most almost everyone's incorporating as a Delaware C Corp with international operations in those situations. Mm-hmm. When you have an international subsidiary, you have to file forms five four seventy one and five four seventy two. Seventy two is for the ownership portion of that, like foreign owners. Mm-hmm. If you don't file those, this year the penalty went up to twenty five thousand dollars per form per year. So we have a lot of Stripe Atlas companies calling us or emailing us and saying, I need you to do my taxes. I haven't done them for a couple of years. And at that moment, we know that they probably owe twenty-five right. dollars to $50,000 to the IRS. And the IRS is actually pretty nice about this in the first year. Mm-hmm. They will waive the penalty, but they won't waive it after the first year. 
And so doing your taxes right, especially if you have a foreign subsidiary, is incredibly important. So that's a new that fund used to be ten thousand dollars per form last year, and the year before it was like even less. The other thing that's happened is ten ninety nines penalties have gone way up, and the IRS and the government want people getting issued ten ninety nines because they want to track that so that people claim this income. And so not doing that, I think, is a thousand dollar per ten ninety nine not attempted or not done. Mm-hmm. So just be really smart about that stuff. And then I think there's one other thing, which it's not a deadline-driven thing, but if you're especially if you're going remote like us, and you guys probably feel this because you have offices all over the country, right. when you hire someone remotely in a new state, you have to file in that state to do business, and you have to file to pay payroll taxes. If you don't do that, you're going to trigger a lot of penalties, especially the payroll taxes. And governments everywhere are like a dog on a bone with payroll taxes. That is one of their chief sources of revenue. And so they are going to find you. They will auto-debit your bank account. They will do whatever it takes. So please, when you hire people remotely, start registering in those states to do business. Mm-hmm. Am I right that Gusto helps you do that? Gusto will give you the workflow to do it, but you okay. actually have to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a great question because I have a lot of people say, Gusto does that for me. They actually don't. <laughs> okay. They tell you how to do it, which is awesome, but you have to do it. And then there's one other thing that's new, which maybe caught your attention last summer. There was a lawsuit between Wayfair and North Dakota on sales tax. And basically, North Dakota is like, hey, we don't have a lot of people in North Dakota but companies are doing business with North Dakota companies. We want to be able to charge sales tax on them. And it turned out that the Supreme Court ruled for North Dakota and all states basically and said, you do not have to have kind of quote unquote nexus of like having employees or assets in a state anymore for the state to charge sales tax. It's called sales and use tax. There'll be a threshold. The laws are all still coming together. I think California went into effect yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. But if you are a startup, like especially a SaaS or e-commerce company, you are going to have to start paying sales tax when you pass a certain threshold, like $100,000 in revenue in a given state. So we are doing crazy amounts of sales and use tasks now, which is not the most exciting thing maybe for the audience, but it's really important to be compliant. And then we're putting companies on TaxJar and Avalara, which are the two calculators for sales tax mm-hmm. for web and SaaS businesses. So help, help yourself out. Check those out. To recap, file an extension if you're two weeks away from the deadline. You don't need that. do the stress. Don't forget to ask on R&D tax credit. We do those. We do tons of them. And then be aware of sales and use tax and be aware of registering people and your company in a given state once you start in a new state. That's great advice. I appreciate it. Do you only take customers that you do all of those things for or do you have customers where you only are doing the R&D tax credits or that kind yeah. of thing? We have kind of two ways of working with us, which is the monthly reoccurring financials plus all the tax stuff. That's like our normal 170 companies doing that. Mm -hmm. And then we have cruise tax to do startups that usually are kind of too small, but actually we've been doing a lot of like series B, series C tax returns lately who only want a tax return. And the reason why we do that is it's a kind of a, it's a really nice onboarding experience to our normal services. Mm-hmm. Like they, the CEO kind of gets a taste of what it's like to work with us, how right. professional we are. Like Lorena and Steven are going to ask a million questions and make sure they're doing their taxes right. And they're like, oh, 
this is how this is how taxes are. Think how good my financials could be. Right. And if they're coming to you for just taxes, that probably means they need help in other parts as well. You're exactly right. The tax conversation immediately turns into what are you using for your accounting? It's actually pretty amazing. We've had some huge clients come to us that way over the years because A, the companies have grown into be huge companies because A, a lot of startups grow quickly. The taxes are a pain point that every CEO is aware of. They're not really thinking about their financials too much at the early stage, even though they should be. And so we can kind of give them religion and get them folded into our processes. And then the cool thing about that is it makes it easy for them. It used to be a struggle. It used to be stressful. And then because we're so regimented and we don't let people break from our processes or else we have to not be their search provider anymore because it messes us up, it kind of creates this opt-in and it makes it a heck of a lot easier for everybody. And so they like it. It's like something that used to be painful is like, now it's pretty nice. Not so bad. Well, thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom and your story. If people want to find out more, you've mentioned the domain name a few times, but say it again. And then if people want to get in touch with you or follow along, where's the best place for them to do that? So Cruise Consulting, K-R-U-Z-E Consulting. And you can, if you need taxes, there's a little halfway down, just click taxes. And then my email is Scott at Cruise Consulting, Cruise with a K. And then if I humbly can put a little plug in for my podcast. Yes, I was just going to ask you about it if you didn't mention it. Yeah, it's Founders and Friends, but you can find it on our, you can type in Scott Oren Podcast or Founders and Friends Podcast. It's on our website too. We interview VCs, we interview entrepreneurs, service providers, I believe I had Dan on like three years ago or four years ago in the early days when Tom was helping me get going. So I'd love to have you on again sometime, talk sure. about ThoughtBot. And then uh, I'll just leave your audience with an unsolicited testimonial about ThoughtBot. Like you are way too nice of a guy to even ask, but like ThoughtBot is a really special place. I got to see the inner workings of it, having worked in the office, and they do amazing work. And I think the playbook and the willingness to put that out there and guide people in their decision-making and demonstrate all the knowledge you have is really amazing. And I also think just the process you put new clients through when you don't just say, yes, we will build you software. You say, we will build you software, but we want to make sure we're building it the right way. And we are going to go through this whole kind of qualitative and quantitative development process to make sure we do it the right way with you. We won't just take your money. We want to do this the right way. I think it is amazing. And I've seen it in action. And I've also been on the side where I didn't do that and regretted it. So kudos to you and kudos to the company you built and, and the great company culture you have at ThoughtBot. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. The check is in the mail. That, that was unsolicited. <laughs> Seriously. I'm a huge no, believer. I really we appreciate refer it. you guys all the time. I'm sure yeah, you know that. Yeah. Like We're always like, you should just call it ThoughtBot. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with the playbook, you know, I, I take it for granted that people are, but you can get that at ThoughtBot.com slash playbook. And it is a description of all the ways that we work and even down to like the providers that we use for a lot of the services and and that kind of thing. So you can subscribe to the show and find notes with everything that we just talked about and links at giantrobots.fm. And if you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. And thanks again to Pricing Wire for sponsoring this episode of Giant Robots. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.